Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I'm your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 17, where today I am talking to Tim. Hi, Tim. Hello, Lily. Thank you for being so patient with me today. Oh, that's fine. We've been trying to set up this podcast, and we're finally here. So let's get into it. And um, and again, you can tell me, but for the first time for everyone else, tell me a little bit about what your original family was like. Well, I was the, um, the youngest in a, in a family of five. Uh, that is, uh, I had two older brothers. Uh, one was eight and a half years older than me. And my brother Tom is five and a half years older than me. So uh, they were born in the 50s and I was born in the mid 60s. And um, we did, uh, uh, I, I had some pretty good parents as far as, you know, taking care of, and, uh, taking care of us. And um, my, my dad had a factory job uh, and he went to work every day, Monday to Friday. And I was supposed to have a stay at home mom, but it seems at some point she didn't stay at home. Um, and, uh, let's see, I, I think the story really, uh, revolves around her a little bit and what happened to her when she was younger. Um, her mother died when she was 10 and, uh, she, after living just a little bit longer with her dad, uh, she went to live with her great aunt, uh, who she described as uh, mean Aunt Mabel, who had a cane and wasn't afraid to use it. So I, I think uh, she, uh, she endured a, a year, year and a half with Aunt Mabel, and then she ended up in foster care, uh, probably around the age of 12 or so. and. Uh, she was there through her teenage years, and uh, she ended up going to the same high school as uh, the dad that raised me. Um, he graduated in 1951 and took her to his prom, and uh, she she would have been in 10th grade at the time, and uh, she ended up going and living with her sister and brother-in-law uh, for a little while, but they had... Um, they committed her to a halfway house for girls down in uh, Buffalo, New York. And she, she got released on her 18th birthday. And she called up Tony, my dad, and said, Tony, can you come pick me up? And uh, he did. And uh, they were married four days later and started their life together. He... Um, uh, he was drafted by the Army, and when he got the notice, he went down to the Marines uh, recruiting station and signed up with them. Uh, he ended up going to Japan for about 10 months uh, early on in their marriage. And uh, so she actually became, I, I think, independent while he was gone uh, somewhat. But um, they... Uh, they continued on. My brothers were born, and uh, and then me. And uh, by by the time I came along, uh, I could tell my mother didn't want to talk about her dad and her mom. Like I would ask her questions, and uh, it seemed painful for her to answer them. It, it wasn't. Uh, she wouldn't elaborate. It was just you know maybe a one or two word answer or something. And, so I, I really didn't know a lot about her early life, uh, just her siblings somewhat, and uh, my cousins, uh, the, that immediate type of family. 
So um, let's see. Uh, growing up, um, my parents never really had anything to do with my uh, schoolwork. Like, uh, you know, they, they always let me do my own homework and uh, they really didn't take an interest in, uh, in anything. But looking back, the one time my mother had an interest in what was going on in school was the day in science class. I was probably in about seventh or eighth grade. And uh, we were doing um, a blood type test uh, to find out what blood type you were. And uh, you know, you, you get a little, you prick your finger or whatever, get a little drop of blood, two drops, and you, uh, you put the chemical on it to find out or, or whatever it was to, to figure it out. And looking back, it is somewhat humorous that, you know, that, that's kind of how you told something like that back then. Like not DNA, you know, it was more like blood type. Like, did it line up? Was it, was it right? So it was, it's somewhat humorous to look back and think that was the only time my mother was really interested in any kind of homework or schoolwork that I did all through school. Um, but, uh, uh, coming forward, uh, I would say um, uh, when, it, when I graduated high school, uh, it was 1983, uh, both my brothers had already married and were out of the house, and so it was just me with, with my two parents, and um, about a month after I graduated, uh, my mother had a blood clot in her calf again. And uh, she was limping, and she she knew what she had to do and uh, get it taken care of. So I drove her to the hospital, and she limped in. And within three weeks, she had died. Oh, she, I'm her, so her sorry. Yeah, it was it was pretty traumatic at the time. Um, she. And, and that, that was the strange thing is she went to the hospital. She was limping. She went to the hospital and she kept getting worse while she was there until she, uh, she had two operations uh, while she was in there over the course of uh, three weeks. So it was a big shock to everyone. She, she died just before her 48th birthday. And, uh, um, you know, family, friends, uh, they were just shocked. And, and my mother was one of these people that um, uh, she liked to make people laugh. Like she always wanted to joke. If, uh, you know, if you're having a get together, it'd be good to have my mother there because, you know, uh, she'd be joking. And um, she loved to play cards. And uh, she got together with her, her brother uh, and her brother's family. And playing cards, I mean, they, they just took it to another level. They would, they would be crying at some point, but they'd be laughing so hard. So every, everyone really loved my mother that way. And it was, it was a big shock and traumatic. Now, now one of the things um, that was strange to me is, is uh, when I saw uh, mom and dad, they, they never held hands. Um, when dad would come home from work, he'd go over to my mother, maybe she'd be cooking at the stove and, uh, he'd try to give her a hug or try to give her a kiss. And it's, it's almost as if she was repulsed by that. And, uh, it was interesting just, um, I don't know if it was about a year ago or so, my, my brother and I were talking about that. He, he brought it up and. Uh, we, we had different reactions to it. He was really upset that mom would do that to dad. And for me, uh, it, it was the impression I got that uh, she thought he wasn't good enough for her. And it, it's just strange how those impressions like leave a mark on your personality mm -hmm. um, growing up and, and as you age and deal with uh, members of the opposite sex. So... Uh, I, I can remember uh, coming into the hospital the one day. Uh, it was probably about a week and a half in. Um, 
in almost two weeks. And, and, and at some point they were even talking about amputating her legs uh, because of her condition, which means that she'd be restricted to a wheelchair. I, I know that that started coming up, like they were afraid she was gonna, she was getting gangrene in her feet. Like that was a very, a, a very real danger. And I, I can remember walking into the hospital the one day to visit and dad was there and his chair is up against the bed and they're holding hands and they're kind of smiling. And I wanted to, I wanted to say, who are you and what happened to my parents? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was strange to see them like that. So, uh, I, I think, um, Tony, my dad uh, was, uh, you know, it seemed like they were making amends or getting, you know, uh, when, when things got real serious on, on life and death issues that, um, you know, maybe the relationship was, you know, going to go somewhere. Well, mom died and it, it ended up being uh, me and dad at home, um, the two of us. And I just, I felt like I had to be strong for him. There was, you know, a couple of times where he broke down and uh he would play the uh there's a willie nelson song that um talks about you know how i wish i had told you i loved you or i, I can't remember what it is right now but um he he was never one to play music like if he turned on the radio just he didn't care what station it was on but uh it, it was sad to see and um it changed our relationship like he was he was no longer um, dad, the person that was to be made fun of, or, you know, that dysfunctional dynamic. It was just me and him, and we became friends. And um, when he got married three, uh, three years later, um, I ended up being in his wedding party. And... We were, we were really friends until, until he died in 2013. Um, but now, uh, coming back to um, uh, when I found out that something was amiss, um, it was about a half a year after my mother died. So this would have been about winter of 1983, 84, I would say, and I'm driving, um, I'm, I'm with my brother, my brother's driving, my brother Tom, and uh, he says, did, did you ever hear that um, mom had been disfellowshipped or shunned by, by the congregation? And I said, no, I never heard that. And he said that uh, Linda, um, his, his wife's best friend, had been talking to her and uh, she came out with this information. And uh, not only that our mother had been uh, shunned by our congregation, but that uh, there, there was another man that had been shunned and, and a lot of individuals thought that he was my father. And it's like, come on, like how, how have we never heard this? And uh, so um, that was the very first that I had ever heard of it. But uh, through the years, uh, it, it's been great having my brother. I, I really should, you know, let everybody know out there who's an M MPE that they should hire my brother to go ask questions for them <laughs> because he, he would, uh, when he saw old family members or uh, old friends of the family or from the congregation, um, he would ask them. I, I think if I brought it up or if I asked someone, they would be rather apprehensive, like not to let me know. Yeah. But I think they were disarmed because it was my brother. And so I, I think a lot more people were more free with him asking. And I didn't feel I could ever ask my dad, like Tony, you know, 
Um, hey, Dad, do you remember that time Mom had been shunned by the congregation? Do you think, uh, <laughs> did you hear this rumor? Uh, but my brother actually did. He, I, I don't know how the conversation went, but I know he asked our dad about that time. And so um, uh, this is one of the, I would say maybe one of the three times um, uh, my dad came to my bedroom and, you know, kind of in a serious way, you know, um, you know, had me sit down and uh, said, um, you know, your, your brother came and asked me and I, uh, if uh, you are my son, I just want to let you know that you definitely are. There's no, you know, there's no question about it. And I'm thinking, okay, dad, yeah, you know, all right. But in my mind, it's like, of course, dad, that is what you're gonna say. <laughs> and um, so from there, uh, kind of through the years, uh, different ones that I would uh, see or meet, I would ask about this other man that had been disfellowshipped from the congregation. And uh, all I had was, an, um, I had a nickname, Skip, and I had his last name, um, but I, d I didn't know his real first name. So I would ask you know, people if they remembered Skip and, uh, 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 a few did, and, and my brother would, and um, uh, some would say, yeah, they, they thought he might be my father. Now, I did come across uh, some information later on that uh, uh, I, I got the dates that my mother had been uh, shunned in the summer of 63. And it was because um, she, she confessed to uh, adultery and uh, it was actually uh, repeated. She, she had an affair. So, so that's why the, the drastic step was taken. And uh, she was reinstated to the congregation in the spring of 66 so she so she was out for almost three years and the, the interesting thing for me is and I, I don't know if any other NPEs feel this way but when you're a product of adultery um, sometimes you you almost feel some guilt like as if there's guilt with the adultery you know because living by the judeo-christian Thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> and, and you're a product of something like that. You, it, it was a strange feeling because, um, uh, and, and I, it took a while for me to like, even though intellectually, mentally, I knew how God viewed me. It, it still was, uh, it was still something I had to reconcile within me. Uh, kind of the reaction to that. Um, so in, in talking uh, uh, in, in talking to somebody who is, who is my parents' age in, in the congregation, and I would say this was probably about 1990, 91, somewhere in there, um, I, I told them my suspicions that maybe this skip was, you know, uh, my dad. And he seemed to know the whole story. Like he, he knew Skip's older brother, Roger. It was one of his best friends. And uh, Roger's wife, Donna, was my mother's best friend. So this Skip was Donna's brother-in-law, younger brother-in-law. So there is, I, I knew Donna, she was like an aunt to me growing up. Some of my very first memories are of uh, Donna and her daughter um, and uh, you know, playing and having interactions. And she, she was the same age as my brother, Tom. 
uh, the daughter was. So those are some of my very first memories at about three years old or four years old. I was playing with my brother, Tom, and Donna's daughter. And so I, I, I recognized that uh, Skip's surname and that he, he had moved back to Pennsylvania where the family was from. And uh, I, when, when Google became a possibility, I had searched the name. Um, but with, with a nickname, you, you really can't find anyone. And it, it was a German surname in Pennsylvania. And there's, there was just way too many of them. So um, get, getting back to uh, Gil, uh, the, uh, the one who was familiar with the situation, um, I told him I, I would really love to talk to Donna at some point. She was my mother's best friend. This was her brother-in-law that's accused. And uh, I'd, I'd like to hear from him or her, you know, to see if she knows anything. And he says, well, why don't you come over to my house? Um, she was living in Florida. He says, you can call her from my phone. Uh, because, because this was back in about 90, 91. If you called somebody long distance on your landline, because <laughs> nobody had cell phones yet, uh, it would show up as a bill. Uh, on the bill. Um, and so I, I never, I really couldn't call her from my house because it would show up on the phone bill and dad would see, you know, 15 bucks to call Florida. Who, who'd you talk to? <laughs> oh, sure. So, so Gil invited me over and said, you know, why don't, why don't you call, call Donna f from my house? Your, your dad doesn't have to know. Um, so that was great. I was able to do that. I went over and uh, um, she just had uh, this idea that my mother was some angel, that she could do no wrong. And when, when she started in on that, I, I'm, I'm surprised she couldn't hear my eyes roll in my head over the phone because it was, it's like, I, I know my mom, I, I know some of her stories, you know, her life, and I know she wasn't an angel, um, but I also know that Donna, uh, when she visited my mom in the hospital, um, you know, she was joking and laughing, and my mom wasn't doing well, and that was the last time she saw her, and uh, I think that's the way it affected her, that she wanted to remember my mom that way. And what, what it taught me was, is even somebody that might have insight into a situation, um, eight years down the line, this is how they remember it now. This is how they're recalling it. And you can only rely on, you know, when, when you're trying to find out information like this, um, you really have to weigh it against what you know and what you feel. And also what other people are contributing to the discussion of uh, your NPE story and trying to figure it out and what happened. So that was, that was really it for a while. I, I had to go five or 10 years at a time without really knowing or finding out anything. Um, over the course of many years, I did find out some other family members' uh, names. Um, and so, I would say in about, oh, and, and the funny thing was is um, my last name is Polish. It, it doesn't look Polish right off the bat unless you are Polish and you realize it is a, is a name. Um, and uh, so people would ask me, and I'd say it's Polish. Um, I'm not. My grandmother is, but I'm not Polish. Um, because I... I really didn't believe at some point that Tony was my father. I would look in the mirror and, and think this is not the male version of my mother. This is, this is not Tony's face either. There's somebody else out there that looks like this. And even, um, looking at other individuals, uh, I have a niece and a nephew, and as they grew up, uh, seeing how they looked like 
their mother at some point, or uh, they looked mostly like their father, but at times they looked like uh, the, uh, the maternal uncle, you know, another family member, even in some of their expressions or the way they smiled or mannerism. And I really had nothing like that. And, and even growing up at times, I thought, um, how can I be related to these people? <laughs> I mean, kind of take a step back. And, um, but I, I, I attributed that to maybe that's how a lot of people feel um, growing up, uh, especially once you get into your teen years. So through, through the years, uh, I wondered if I would ever find out uh, what, what happened to this skip, if I would, uh, if I would find him. Um, and, and like I said, it, it would, I'd go five, 10 years at a time and, and, you know, not find or hear anything. And, and even when Google did come out, it, it was difficult to, uh, to search anything without his real first name, uh, his legal first name. Uh, I was on a, on a trip with, um, a bunch of friends. My, my wife and I went to the Outer Banks and, and uh, a bunch of our friends uh, got together and rented a beach house. And I realized while I was there on vacation that week, I had talked about how I probably wasn't a Rosin um, a lot, that I probably wasn't Tony's son. And I thought, you know, I should try again. In fact, I have some family members' names now. So I searched for those family members. And I found Skip's uh, obituary. I found his mother's obituary. And I found a brother's obituary. And they all died, I think it was within a year, uh, Skip being the last. And in his obituary, I saw that he had a son. So I thought, wow, this just got real. I, I could have a half brother out there. Now, it also said that he died at home, um, and I realized that it was his birthday. And he wasn't survived by a wife, so I was thinking he was alone on his birthday, dying at home. And uh, I, I actually wondered if, if he had committed suicide. I know his older brother, Roger, did back in, back in 1968. So I'd, I'd gone through some uh, uh, ebbs and flows, some you know depression at times during my life, and so this this was actually you know a bit of a concern for me if that was the real case. Now, I in in, in getting in getting uh, uh, finding out that I might have a half brother and finding that Skip did die in 2000, um, it was time to find out if, I were, if all the rumors were true throughout the years. So I asked my brother Tom to do a Y DNA test, uh, a paternity test. They checked 20, 22 or 24 markers. Uh, it's called a Y-STR, Y-S-T-R test. So he, he agreed to do that for me, and, and we sent, a, uh, sent away for it. And uh, this was in 2012. And the first week of November, uh, the results came in. And I'm looking at it. And we only had about 14 to 16 of the 22 to 24 markers the same. And they should have been identical because we both got the same Y chromosomes from our, from our father, but they weren't. So it was true. I had a different father. So I, I can remember I had poured myself a, a glass of whiskey and I, I cranked Alive by Pearl Jam. I don't know if you're familiar with the song. Um, the, the lead singer of Pearl Jam is uh, uh, Eddie Vedder, and he, he wrote the song because he's an MPE, and the first few lines of it are about how 
his mother told him one day, kind of out of the blue, that when he was home alone at age 13, his real daddy was dying. Uh, sorry you didn't see him, but I'm glad we talked. And to him, the, the song was a curse. And uh, through the years performing it live in front of fans, and the fans really celebrating the song, um, Eddie has said that the fans have lifted the curse. So that, that kind of really touched me. And, and, in, and in my story at this point, thinking that, you know, the skip is my dad, I, I, would, I, I would scream the song <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and, and say, uh, while I was home alone at age 35, my real daddy was dying. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it was true. Um, we didn't have the same father. Oh. So uh, how do I contact, uh, you know, the son? So I, I got online and I tried all kinds of things. I couldn't find a phone number uh, for this son. I'm thinking he's probably got a cell phone. He's probably never had a landline. Um, now, I did find uh, something for the aunt. So I ended up calling the aunt and uh, talking with her. And um, she didn't have the phone number for her nephew. And she was supposed to get back to me, her and her husband. And uh, they never did. And I, I probably let about six months go by. And I decided to write, write a letter. And I saw um, this potential half-brother, you know, had a Facebook page. I could see where he worked. So I sent a registered letter to his employer. So somebody would have to sign for it. And um, then I had to wait. So um, in, in the meantime, um, this, uh, this one Sunday morning, uh, the alarm goes off and I have my alarm set to NPR radio and fresh air is on with Terry Gross and she's interviewing Sarah Powell who just did a documentary on her NPE situation and I it was just fascinating that I heard this and I actually downloaded the episode and I burned it to a CD and I played in my in my car and the the thing that i got from it was oh and not only do i recommend it um, it's called stories stories we tell i think stories we tell is the name of the the podcast no it's it's the name of um the sarah episode Polly's, yeah that sarah polly's documentary oh okay thank you for sharing that i'll have yeah, to look that up uh, stories we tie. I think it is on either Netflix or Amazon. Wonderful. Um, there's there's another one that's not as I, I want to say not as famous. Um, it's called Little White Lie, and it's about a girl who was raised white <laughs> until she got into high school, and um, the African American uh, students were calling her a poser. <laughs> And that for, for NPEs, that's also, you know, another uh, excellent documentary kind of okay. on their on, on their own experience. Great. Um, but getting, for sharing. Yeah. Get, getting back to um, after hearing that, it actually emboldened me to approach the subject with my dad again. After all this time, uh, this would have been. Uh, summer of 2013, uh, Tony was in a uh, in a nursing home, so I had known definitely that I I wasn't his for a half a year already, and um, I, I never really wanted him to find out at all, uh, but I I kind of wanted to know if if he knew, so. I approached the subject as, you know, there were times in my life when, you know, I had bouts of depression or so, and 
you know, I, uh, <laughs> at, at some point he finally, you know, he could see I was agonizing over asking him. He's like, spit it out. Come on, just spit it out. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, I told him I, I found this Skip Zembauer's uh, obituary. And, uh, and I'm thinking he committed suicide, possibly. And, you know, I know his brother Roger did. And, you know, is, is he my dad? Is, is he my actual father? And, and my dad said, no, no, that, you know, he was. And, you know, there's nothing to worry about. And it, it really bothered him. And in some respects, I, I wish I hadn't. But um, I felt like I had to. And, and uh, his, his health actually... Uh, in about a month or two, he had uh, been diagnosed with lymphoma, uh, and they thought the treatment, uh, he wouldn't survive, and they gave him about a year, and he only lasted about two months, and, oh. his, health, and, and his health continued to deteriorate. So I almost asked him at the last possible chance, because I, I, I wouldn't have asked him, you know, uh, after that, and even sometimes visiting him, uh, he, uh, he really couldn't hold a conversation. So he, he died in September. Um, but with that, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Um, so with, uh, uh, with Tony dying, um, it's like, I don't care who finds out now. In fact, I want everybody to know that uh, I wasn't his son, that my mother, you know, did something and, you know, somebody else is my dad. And hey, let's just have everybody know that <laughs> um, because his feelings were the only ones I ever cared about through the years. Um, I, I never really wanted him to find out. Uh, and, um, but, uh, uh, I, I got the DNA test to, to prove it. Now, a little while later, I did get uh, a phone call from Skip's son. Uh, and uh, we talked and he said, his dad always told him he had two older brothers. And that's all he knew. His dad never said anything else. And I said, well, Maybe I'm one of them. And uh, maybe uh, we also have another half brother in Vietnam because his, his dad went to, to Vietnam uh, in the late 60s or mid 60s. So uh, Skip's son uh, agreed to a test. Uh, I paid for it and um, we both had to present photo ID and, you know, go to a clinic and have a nurse swab our cheek. And, you know, so it was all kind of chain of custody, legal type thing. Uh, cause he was down in Pennsylvania and I was up near Buffalo, New York. So when, uh, when we got the results uh, a few months later, um, I, I get an email and I'm looking at the email and I'm going through the chart again on the markers. And we only had about 16 out of 22 in common. And it said, you do not have the same father. And I just could not believe it. Like, this is crazy. I looked for this man for 30 years. Oh. And I... I finally found his obituary. I finally found a surviving son. And he is not my dad. I just thought about all the time I wasted, <laughs> all the searching. And it was, it was really unbelievable that, that it, it wasn't right. This wasn't the guy. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. That was, uh, it was, um, I don't want to say crushing, but 
uh, exasperating. Uh, now there was there was only one other man, uh, an older cousin had a different name, a different person that she thought. And uh, at the time, um, he was about 92, living about an hour and a half from me. And I printed up some large pictures of my mother, just in case he had bad eyesight. <laughs> and I drove down to see him. And uh, I knock on his door and he invited me in. And uh, he, he looked at the pictures of my mother and he said, no, no, I don't, I don't know her. And he, he remembered my aunt. He was friends with my, my mom's sister. And in, in the course of our talking, he's, he's like, I, I wish I could help you. You know, he, he knew why I was there. Um, he, he was that intuitive that, you know, he realized uh, I was wondering if he was my dad. Uh -huh. And uh, he said, um, he, he actually admitted to having a relationship with my aunt and how that broke up. <laughs> and he even he even remembered the phrase my aunt said like he heard it yesterday and I, the candor of of this 92 year old man and the way he talked and just looking at him and uh i thought he's he's not my dad and uh, the the funny thing about it is you know he would say Hey, let me see that photo again. So I'd, I'd hand him the photos of my mother and he'd be looking at him and he'd say, oh yeah, she's, she's a good looking woman. I'd remember her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I left there and I thought, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to know. There's no other names. These were the only three men. Uh, Tony, the dad that raised me, this skip and then uh, the, this fellow here, um, I have no leads. After 30 years, I got nothing. And I just, I have to be okay with that. I have to, I'm just, I'm not gonna find out. So around this time, uh, we, we had a dog from the SPCA for about a year and a half. And people were always asking us like, what breed is she? And it's like, we don't know. She's, you know, a pit mix. Um, some people would ask if she's an American boxer or no, uh, American bulldog. Okay. And uh, so we ended up getting a DNA test for her mm -hmm. to find out. And I thought, I get a DNA test for my dog. I could get a DNA test for myself to find out what breeds I am. <laughs> yep. um, I got this ancestry place that's advertising all the time. Uh, the thing I got to make sure is that I'm not Polish. <laughs> I never felt Polish. I never liked sauerkraut. Uh, the music always sounded goofy to me. <laughs> uh, grandma would have a radio on in the kitchen and just, you know. Um, so I, I thought I would get, uh, get an ancestry test and it came back and it said I was mostly Irish. And I thought, wow, that's why I have freckles. Mm. And my next thought was, I really am going to die of skin cancer. And the third thing was, I'm looking for an 80-year-old Irishman. Mm. And what I really wasn't expecting was a list of cousins. And I had one third cousin and about a hundred fourth cousins. So I had about a hundred uh, third, you know, fourth cousins or closer, one third, and then about a hundred fourth cousins. And the third cousin, I, I clicked on her, I saw her name, uh, I Googled her name, and I thought, this is, this is not my mother's side of the family. Like her grandparents were Canadian. She goes back to Canada. Like that's not, and, and then she, she was, and, and her parents were Irish Catholic. And it's like, that is not my mother's side. 
So again, I asked my, my brother, um, I need you to take an ancestry test for me. <laughs> so, so my brother Tom did that so I could differentiate like what side was my mother's side, what side of these fourth cousins were my biological father's side. Oh yeah. So uh, I had to wait. I had to wait like that two months to like get the test, have it sent in and for it to show up. And this whole time, you know, I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And uh, when it came in, I, uh, I saw that uh, when I clicked on her, uh, the cousin we had in common, I found the surname, Grace, that, they, that those two had in common. My third cousin and a fourth cousin down the line. So I traced back to uh, an Irish immigrant family up near Ottawa. And somebody had posted um, a photo of, of this uh, monument in a graveyard with the name Grace on it. And I just, I looked at the photo thinking, I don't know who my biological father is but I know I descended from the, from this couple. And it was my starting point for figuring out, uh, I, I didn't know the term genetic genealogy at the time, but I thought I got to try to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And I had two weeks to use my um, the trial membership oh, yes. on Ancestry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'd actually been waiting to use it for this because it's like, how, how long is this gonna take? I'm just gonna keep racking up, racking up the time. Uh, and yeah, I, I needed access to the Canadian records. So that was considered an international subscription. So I, I don't know what it was like 30 or $35 a month. It's like, why well, I, I really can't be paying that out for indefinitely. So, um, I, I never, I never really understood what it meant to go down a rabbit hole <laughs> before uh -huh. that, that, that phrase never meant anything to me until I started doing this. And it's like, I am, who knows where I am in this family tree. I need to refocus. I need to get back and, uh, and focus. Um, I have an affinity for kind of like history and timeline. And, um, also this, you know, the search for my dad, um, my biological father. So it, it kind of all came together and working on this tree and doing research. And I, I didn't realize how adept I would be at genealogy. And it, it was like, um, I just flipped the switch on like the turbo and obsessive compulsive focusing <laughs> um, on, on something. Uh, I was going to bed for about two to three hours at, you know, that's about all the sleep I was getting. I was taking my iPad to bed. I was waking up with it. And uh, because these were Irish farmers, <laughs> they, they had 10 kids and then their 10 kids had 10 kids. <laughs> yeah. And those 10 kids. So it really did seem like a needle in a haystack that there's a thousand, thousand possibilities. Like, can, can I really narrow it down? And I, I had to think in terms of not only just focusing, but also like a, a type of algorithm. Uh, you know, I, I have to think in terms of that, like possibility. So this one, this one day, I'm I'm filling in uh, the marriage mates for this uh, this couple's children. I'm going across, putting in putting in the names, and. 
uh, the next morning I wake up and uh, I actually said a prayer um, because it was so exhaustive and it seemed if I got this wrong that it would just be so endless and I if it mattered if it was really important to me as a person to find out that I might I might be able to do it. It was maybe 20 minutes, a half an hour later. Um, I picked up my iPad and I'm thinking, you know, the second person on my list, at the top of my fourth cousin list, I have no idea how I'm related to him other than it's my father's son. And they have this map feature, like where are this person's relatives from? I thought, you know, they gotta be from the Ottawa area because that's where this, this family's from. So I clicked on it and, well, who was in the Ottawa area? And I saw the surname and I had just entered that surname the night before for, uh, for one of the mates of, of, um, of this person. And I, I went back to that and I started filling it out like this couple. And I thought they were born right around the turn of the century. This, these could be my grandparents. So I, I filled it out um, and it's, this looks right. Like everything about it looked right. And so then I started Googling uh, the family and I saw that they had, uh, 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 somebody put a family tree, um, on genie.com i think it is and I, I could see they had 10 children the oldest five were boys no i'm sorry the oldest six were boys then they had two girls and then they had two younger boys all six of the older boys were born in the 1930s it's like wow any one of them could be my dad they were all deceased. There was only two surviving children from this family left. Uh, one of the girls and the youngest boy. And so I got on Facebook and I started stalking the family that way. <laughs> I found um, I found the youngest boy from, from, from the family uh, who was potentially my, my uncle. And I, I showed a picture of him to my wife, I said, so do you think I could be related to him? She said, well, yeah, look how big his head is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also what I noticed was his nose. Like I, I could never figure out my nose like when I was a kid, like if it was like my mom's or my dad's, because it wasn't, it was like my biological father's. Mm -hmm. So um, I sent a message, I, I friend requested, this potential uncle and I, I wrote up a message through Facebook and I sent it to him and you can't tell if they've read it or not. <laughs> and this was at the beginning of November of 2015. So I didn't hear back from him, didn't hear back from him. And I thought, you know, uh, Christmas was coming up and I thought, I'm going to give the family something to talk about. So what I did was, is um, I made up a sign with uh, my alleged grandparents' names and I posted that on Facebook. And uh, I went through and I, I requested to follow um, my aunt and uh, probably at least a half a dozen cousins uh, that I recognized um, were possibilities. And uh, I, I said, I, I think one of the six older sons of this couple is my biological father and that I would pay for any of them uh, to get a genetic uh, or an ancestry test. And um, my uncle Terry uh, agreed to do that uh, right then um, when, when he saw it. 
but in doing so and going through and as they accepted uh, the friend request, uh, request on Facebook, they were saying, you look just like Jerry. You're the spitting image of my brother, Jerry. And that um, really got me emotional because for 30 years I'd been looking in the mirror and come to realize I looked like somebody else out there, that my face was not the male version of, of, of my mother. So it, uh, um, that was really something. They, they uh, started sending me photos right away uh, so I could see. And um, eventually I, I found out I did have a half brother. Uh, he got an ancestry test and it, it came back that, you know, at the, at the correct Senna uh, Morgan level for, for a half brother. And uh, we, we met and talked uh, for the first time about three hours. Uh, we met at a coffee shop. He, he lives an hour and a half from me. And uh, we talked about medical histories and uh, about his, his, our father, uh, it ended up being. And uh, we wondered how they met. How did my mother meet his father? Um, it turns out during 1964, uh, Jerry was living in Niagara Falls, Ontario. He was crossing the border every day and working at a hotel in Niagara Falls, New York, which would have been about 15 minutes from where we lived. So nobody knows how or why um, they met or got together. Uh, as I stated earlier, she was supposed to be a, <clears throat> a stay-at-home mom. and. Uh, we only had one car, so uh, we, we don't know how they got together or met. Uh, but here I am, and uh, it's, it's pretty much been proven uh, genetically then. After my half-brother got his results back, um, he thought it would be a good idea for me to, to meet his mom, who is uh, the widow of my father and the one who adultery was committed on. So she was the innocent party in this, and I wasn't sure if that was a good idea or not, but it uh, it, w it was really helpful. Um, oh, so Tim, it. Tim, I yes. do have a question. So it, you did the math, and, and your birth father was married at the time of your conception? Yes. Okay. And... Uh, I got to meet his um, uh, his widow, and um, she uh, she seemed okay at the time. Um, and uh, you know, we at at some point I did ask her, "So, so do you think I look like him?" <laughs> and she said, "Oh yeah," as she looked down. So her countenance had changed when she did that, and it just. Um, it's like, wow, I, I shouldn't go there again. And, uh, she was fine. And we looked at photos and, and talked and visited for, for a couple hours. And, uh, after I left, um, my brother told me that she broke down and, uh, cried. So now, um, since then I've, I've been able to visit family members, uh, I've uh, I visited some widows of, of my uncles, um, heard family stories. And, and the great thing is the different perspectives of the family members. Um, because my grandparents had 10 kids, um, ranging, you know, in, in, in a wide variety of ages, uh, along with their mates, they all got different perspectives of the family and things that happened. So, uh, it's been great to talk to so many and uh, to see photos. Uh, I invited myself up to Ottawa. I asked my aunt if I could come up and visit her, uh, maybe see some photos. And uh, she invited me to stay with her, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, and then when I wanted to go out to Vancouver, um, my uncle did the same thing. He, he had me stay there with uh, 
uh, with him and his wife and, and to be able to visit and uh, hear stories uh, was just fantastic. I, I, real, I really feel blessed um, the, the way the family has, has received me and uh, to have this insight and even my, my wife has said after seeing photos of my biological father, when she looks at me, she kind of thinks of him now. And even seeing me with the family and talking with them, she could see how it's like I belong with them. Like I, there's, um, it has to do with the personality. Um, certainly comes through the genetics, apparently. So one, um, be, before I visited my aunt uh, up in Ottawa in October of 2016, uh, I, I knew I would be visiting a lot of the ancestral um, graves up there. Before I left, I, I wanted to uh, go across the border and uh, see my father's grave. So I, I found out where it was, and it's about 25 minutes uh, from where I live, uh, crossing into Canada. Uh, including the customs. So it took me about 25 minutes to get there, and uh, I, I found it rather easy. Um, it, it can be difficult to, to find a marker in a graveyard. If anybody has gone to a cemetery, and it's, it's like I thought it was right here, and you end up walking around in circles uh, trying to find one. It, it was relatively easy. And I, I, I took some photos of it. Uh, he's buried with his in-laws. I took a couple of photos of those. And um, I'm thinking, um, and, and, and I'm looking at his, his marker, and it, he died in 1982. And, and I thought, I found him. And I said it out loud, and I thought, if anyone heard me, they might have just thought I was walking around and, oh, I found it. Now, this, this was a 32-year search. So, so I said it again, I found him. And I don't know if you've ever been at the beach and uh, you're standing in the ocean looking back on shore and a wave kind of hits you across your legs and it knocks you a little off balance. And just a couple of seconds later, a larger wave comes and just slams your body. And that's what it felt like standing there. Um, just the release. Um, I, I, I think I was probably ugly crying at some point. <laughs> um, but uh, it, was, uh, it was pretty emotional. I, I, I got myself to stop because I thought I should get this on video. <laughs> so I pulled my phone out of, out of my pocket and I hit the video and I, um, I shot a little video myself there. And that kind of helped me calm down. But to think, that he died in 1982 before I, uh, before I even knew uh, the rumors, before I started the search. It, it was like I walked, he, he, he was there the whole time, the whole time, that's where he's been. It's like I came out of my house and I started a journey that took me all around the world. 32 years uh, to find the spot that was about 25 minutes away. And it just, um, it, was, it, was, it was really an, uh, an emotional moment. So um, that's my story. You got any questions? <laughs> I'm just listening and that's amazing. What a long, long process you've been through to, to come to this point today. And um, it sounds like at times, just emotionally, you've 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 really been through it. And so I just commend you to to where you are today, and and thank you for sharing this. 
Well, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity. And I, I know there might be some people listening that would have some questions um, or if people would like to get in touch with you, is there a way that they could reach you? Uh, yes, I, I have an email address. Um, it's T-S-W-R-A-Z-I-N at yahoo.com. And I, I, I want to apologize ahead of time. I may or may not respond. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But if if somebody wants to reach out, that's fine. Um, oh, I, I did want to clarify earlier. Um, I had mentioned how I thought maybe uh, Skip, the man for so long that I thought was possibly my father. Yes. That uh, that he committed suicide at home. And it, when I talked to his son, he said, no, actually, he died of a heart attack on his birthday at home uh, by himself. So... Uh, just a strange coincidence. It seems like we can jump to wrong conclusions uh, when given some facts. So uh, we definitely have to keep asking people and, and searching. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for clarifying that. Thank you, Lily. Thanks again to Tim for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.